0: All right, and so we're going to continue in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter 5. we got a large section of Scripture. We're looking at verses 21 all the way to 48. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. And then one of our ushers will walk down your aisle and then get you a copy of Scripture. Again, Matthew chapter 5. So by way of recap, here's what we looked at. Okay, we started looking at the series in the Sermon on the Mount. Before that, what we see is Jesus himself is born in this world. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's tempted by Satan. And after that, he starts his ministry. And he starts his ministry this way. He says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe, meaning turn from the ideology and the ways and beliefs in which you're living now and turn towards Christ and his finished work and then follow him into his kingdom. And then what we started the Beatitudes is that Jesus begins to give for us this kingdom ethic and what it looks like to live in the kingdom, how it's radically different than the other kingdoms, how it's an upside-down kingdom. And so it takes a little bit of reworking, um, ultimately, as they follow Jesus. And so we looked at the Beatitudes in the first week, blessed are the poor. We looked at blessed are those, are happy are those who pursue justice and they hunger for righteousness. And then following that, we talked about salt and light. And that is the ministry of the church, the people of God collectively, when we live out ultimately the implications of the gospel in our life, how it shows and proves to be salt and light in the world around us. And last week, we looked at Jesus saying, um, up until this point, that there could have been people in his audience who were going, when is he going to mention the law? Has Jesus come to get rid of the law? And Jesus' word is like, no, I've actually come to fulfill the law. And then he ends with this, this staggering statement. He goes, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, and of the scribes. And we said that righteousness is not so much about going further, but going deeper. And then now, in these next several verses, Jesus begins to quote oftentimes from the Old Testament and then interpretations of the Old Testament that people had interpreted wrong to give the very heart of what does it mean to live out the law. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in our time together. But before we do, would you guys pray with me? And let's ask God to bless our time and um, also to illuminate his word. Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you and that we can approach the Father through you and that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And we ask now that the Holy Spirit would be able to illuminate your word in such a way that it would not only just bring about conviction in our life, but the needed transformation that we need. Jesus, as we look at your word that you have given us as your people to live in your kingdom, God, I pray for the freedom, I pray for the power, I pray for the holiness, we pray for the love of the Father, Lord, to be made perfect within us. God, I pray that you would exalt ultimately in the name of Jesus, God, that we may understand what it means to worship and give ourselves to you freely and fully as you've given yourself to us fully and freely. God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love, love has this thing of, of doing it. It changes you. Like love is able to change a person. Love is able to change a situation or a circumstance. Like things that you normally wouldn't be into if you heard the backstory and there's something loving in it, you'd want to change for it. Here, here's what I mean. So there's A couple weeks ago was the starting of uh, college football. It was the kickoff of college football. And there was a college football game on TV. And every once in a while, I'll watch college football. Um, Just... Just because it's on. And so it was Nebraska. (laughs) It was Nebraska and some other team that were playing. And Nebraska started off, and um, they had 10, and when they went to punt, they had 10 people on the field. They were supposed to have 11 people on the field. They had 10 people on the field, and they were without one person. And so the the referee called the flag, it's a penalty. And the reason why they did that is because their punter, um, he died in a car accident um, this summer. And so they did that in love and memory of him. And the other team could have accepted the penalty, but instead they declined the penalty. So we don't want the penalty, and you, you're watching this game, and you're, I'm, I'm just watching a game of team two teams I really don't even care about. In fact, I used to hate Nebraska. Now I just hate them less, um, and which is not good because we're going to talk about not hating people later. So I'm going to repent. In Twenty minutes. So the, the, immediately you're drawn to this game because of this act of love that these these college kids are displaying. Or, or, or you get even more relationally. So I, 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 I talk a lot about my mom, but I got to tell you the story of what got my mom to where she was spiritually. So my my grandmother was a huge influence on my mom. And not my grandmother, like my mom's mom, my dad's mom. And so, so here's a little bit of the, the context here. So my my, uh, my dad met my mom. My mom was born and raised in Mississippi, right? And so my dad had family there. Um, he was out there working with his granddad. And then he met my mom. My mom was working at Church's Chicken. He pulled up, got himself some chicken, was like, what's up, girl? Because <laughs> that's how the stewards do things, right? And so meets my mom. Uh, my mom already had my older sister and she already had my older brother. My mom and my dad got married really quick. They had me. I don't know if they had me before. If I, I, we don't really know. I never ask. And so. Um, and so when my mom gave birth to me, my dad and her had already, uh, they would separated. And so my dad had moved back to California, and my mom, me, and my brother, and my sister in Mississippi. When I was two, my mom decided to reconcile, move us to L.A. And she said when she moved to L.A. that her life dramatically changed because of the relationship that she had with my grandmother. Now, my grandmother, she died 20 years ago to this weekend. I lo- love my grandmother, and I was by far her favorite grandchild. And they used to always say, my, my brother and sister, you're the favorite. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But the, yeah, I was. There, there were like at least two or three Christmases where she had forgot to get them gifts. And I'm like, guys, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> And I think part of it was I was her biological, like I was her only biological grand, grandson. And so, um, so I love I my grandma. My grandma was extremely godly. She was simultaneously the most godly woman I knew and also the most wildly inappropriate woman that I knew. <laughs> like The type of stuff she would say would just catch me off guard. So my mom um, said that what happened was she grew up, my mom grew up in the South, and so she grew up going to church and grew up around uh, religion, et cetera, but never knew what it was like to know, know, know God, to be loved by God in such a way that it transforms you, that it transforms your life. And she said, when, when I met your grandma, she began to talk to me about this relationship with Jesus, and she didn't just talk to me about this relationship with Jesus. Like, she welcomed me in. Like, here's someone who she's never met before. Someone who's um, given birth to her only grandson, someone who's already has another older daughter from a different guy, another son from a different guy, and, then, and, and now she's taking me in at 22, 23 years old. Like, that just doesn't happen, right? And not just taking you in, like, relationally, like, literally the next five years of our life we live with my grandma, right? And she began to display um, in word and deed this love of the father. And my mom would say, I would not be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for your grandma, your grandma. And there's this is love It radically changed the life of my mom, which radically changed the life of us, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's something that happens when you go beyond just lip service and get to the heart of expressing, expressing love. So far, when, um, when, when we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us an ethic of the kingdom. But I don't want us to miss something. that the very heart of this, of righteousness, at the very heart of following God is being loved by God. And then being loved by God, manifesting that love and obedience and righteousness. This is not something we're doing in order to get God to see us or to love us. This is something we do out of his love. So if we're going to understand the, these next several verses, we got to understand where is he getting at? Because he ends at the very conclusion of this, this message this morning, he ends with saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what he's talking about is being perfected by the heavenly Father's love, and how that radically changes the game. That our obedience, our righteousness flows from love. If you just took a glance at your Bible right now, you're going to see some of the titles. It's going to say anger and lust and divorce and oaths and loving your enemies. And there could be six to seven messages on all of these, and yet we're putting them together because we want you to see the full thread of what God is calling us to. And so if you're with me, let's jump in here. and uh, Chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it said... You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder," and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. Now, here's what Jesus is doing here. We gotta understand this. Jesus is not just quoting Old Testament and saying, "I'm going to reteach you the Old Testament" or "I'm gonna correct the Old Testament." When he says, "You've heard it said," some of it is reference to the Old Testament, and some of it just references to their teachers. So here's what the, the, the problem was, is that they had the Old Testament, which nothing was wrong with that. Jesus said last week, on the fulfillment of that. But there were those who were their leaders and teachers who were interpreting the Old Testament and interpreting in such a way that it got them away from God's intention. That they were trying to obey the letter of the law, but they were not getting the heart of the law. So Jesus is not re-correcting what Moses had written in the Old Testament, but he's re-correcting the teachers. And so when he says... You have heard that it was said you should not murder. That's a direct quote. He goes, whoever mur- murders will be liable of judgment. He goes, that's true. But I would say to you, if everyone, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and be before the altar and go, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So here's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to the scribes. You guys think you guys are cool because you're not murdering people, right? Because everybody would agree that murdering somebody is unloving, right? right? <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> we don't want to set the bar too high now. But uh, all right, so we, we would agree that murdering, that murdering is unloving. Of course it's unloving. But Jesus says it's not just that murdering is unloving, but, but it goes even further than that when you have anger in your heart towards someone, not all anger is bad anger. There's a righteous indignation. It's not what he's talking about here. He's saying when you want ill for somebody, when you want something bad for somebody, That when your emotion of anger has taken you to such a point that you want to harm somebody, either physically or verbally, that you have actually expressed the heart of what the law is saying. Like that you are actually going against it because there's murder there. He's not saying it's the same thing. No. And and many of us can raise our hand and we can say, good, I'm good, I haven't murdered. He goes, no, 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 no. Have you gossiped? Have you slandered? Have you taken anybody out like that? Right? Like we live in a day-to-day where somehow it's okay to absolutely berate people on social media. Like, the more famous you are, the more it's okay for me just to, before all of my friends and for everybody I know on Facebook or whatever, the social media outlet, I can totally just berate you, and sometimes somehow it's okay. Like, have we so dehumanized people that we forgot that every single man, woman, and child, I don't care what their celebrity status is, that they're created in the image of God? Therefore, there's value, there's worth, there's dignity, there's purpose. Like when Jesus is saying don't murder, he's saying don't take what I've given, which is life. And even if you call someone a fool, that's the verbal things that we do against people. And we're all guilty of it. And we may not do it to people like, you know, in, in terms of like, like, we may not do it to people we know. But famous people, I see it all the time. Like, let's you know what, let's get together and talk about how, how messy their life is. I wish TMZ would just go to somebody average and just start thinking, hey, hey, you no, know we saw We saw average Joe. What was he doing? What everybody else does, right? Like, that, that, that's part of he's saying that at the very heart of this, are we caring? Are we loving? Do we care about these people? So he says this, instead, what he's looking for at the heart of this is reconciliation. Reconciliation, he goes, what, what's, what's the gap between you and that person, and is there something you can do to reconcile it? So Here's what he says in verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, in that day, they would go to the temple and they worship at the temple and they bring sacrifices, they bring gifts and so forth. It'd be like if we came to church on a Sunday and you guys were sitting here and uh, before we take communion, before you gave and so forth, you realize you had wronged somebody and that you need to go to that person and make that wrong right. That you need to ask that person's forgiveness. That you need to go to that person. like that. It's as, simple, it's as simple as that. It is literally going, who have I wronged? And I need to go to that person and say, I've wronged you. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. Before I try to do this whole religious thing, God has asked me to do this. Because you know what? He's saying something about the fact that the way we worship best before the Lord is when we're one with one another. That the, the, the fellowship and the, of the Spirit and the Son... And the father is not this individual game of Christianity, but it's corporate and communal. And he's saying, uh, first go reconcile that. Now, I, I understand that not all relationships are equally as reconcilable. That there could be the forgiveness of sins, but sometimes people have done things to you in such a way, um, in such harm and such abuse, that it's not good for you to be uh, one together and may not be good or healthy or right for you guys to be reconciled like other people, but it's going to at least extend the forgiveness. And when you've done something to somebody that you can go. Now, if that person is saying, I don't want to forgive you, I don't... You have to step away from it, but it's on your conscience, on your heart, as an ethic of a woman or a man of God that follows Jesus to go, I can't pretend this religious thing when I got, I got it out for somebody and I need to go ask for their forgiveness. Amen? And the same thing with debt. Because if it's money or if it's sin that's separating, pay your debt, ask for forgiveness, and go ahead and reconcile that. It's more than just anger and murder. It's going, this is the most loving thing to do to love your brother. Well, Jesus Shivsky is here. I'm talking not just normal relationships, but getting into some more intimate relationships and talking about lust and talking about marriage. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So do you see the seriousness of this? Like, like Jesus keeps going, it's better that you lose an eye or a leg or an arm than go to hell. Like, to me, he's pretty serious. So he says, okay, here, here's lust. And here, here's a problem with lust. Lust in itself is the most selfish thing that we can do. Because lusting in itself, lust has nothing to do with the other. It is so the opposite of love. Lust in itself is a consumeristic nature of which I can take from you for my, for my own good. It has nothing to do with you. It is completely, at the core, self-centered. Love is about what I can give. Ultimately, what I can, what I can get to love you, to care for you. Lust is saying there's something you have, in this case, physically, that I want. Whether this is something that happens with your eyes, with your heart, or even with your imagination. And especially if you go as far to take it even in your mind and your heart from somebody else that's not even your spouse. So, so so what Jesus is saying here, it's just not loving. Now, it just so happens that when he puts it here before marriage, uh, you, you see that this lust thing, it's something that everybody struggles with. Everybody. 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 Everybody's right? like, oh, it's a guy thing. No, 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 no. You don't know any girls then, right? The girls are like, no, no, yeah, it's just them. Right? So, we like this is a battle. This is a battle. Now, here's what I would say God given uh, attractiveness, um, God gives us desire, God given attractiveness. That's like you were born good looking. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Not everybody has that privilege. There's, there's, and that was no way to say that I, that you guys, you guys, you guys gotta go somewhere. But, like, if you are attracted to somebody, that's not sin. If you notice that's a good-looking man, that's a good-looking woman, that's not sin. He's not saying, oh, that's sin. No, 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 it's, it's, it's not that. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a God-given thing. That even the gift of sex is a God-given thing. So we've been, uh, our church, if you're new here, you may not know this, but we've been reading through the whole Bible as a church, and so there's a reading plan. And there was a chapter that we got to, I believe it was 34 or something in Genesis. It was dark. And it was a chapter where um, one of the guys from this other country Took the daughters of um of of these and the sister of these brothers, and I'm reading out loud the Bible with my sons, and I know where we're going because it's um it's a very sad deal of of rape, and I'm going okay. Do I teach my seven year old this, or do I not? I'm gonna do it right, and we're trying to talk about sex, and I'm trying to have the different conversations you can have like, um here's how it is uh, before the Lord. This is good. This is not, but people do it, but they're not bad people. And we're just trying to walk through this all. I'm sweating. He's looking at me like, <laughs> do you guys do that? <laughs> like It's like, <laughs> and, and we're trying to walk through this. But one of the things I wanted to know even earlier is you may not get this yet, but this is a good thing, and God created it good, right? Because most of us, if you grew up around church, you're like, don't do it. It's bad. And then, like, you find out about it, you're like, they've been lying this whole time, <laughs> Right? So I want to teach them that it's good. So Jesus is not saying here that being attractive and, and that the gift of sex is, is bad. No, no. He's saying when it's taken out of his context, and the word for um, lust is epithemia. When you have an over-desire for somebody else, for your own selfish gain, that in itself is, gets at the heart of adultery. Gets at the heart of it. And oftentimes when you get this text and this text is taught, what happens is a conversation of pornography comes up. And we don't we don't have time to, to have that that long conversation because yeah it hurts us it hurts the church and so forth um, and everybody's looking for help men women everybody's how do I how do I how do I battle with this how do I how do I walk through this and Jesus gives um, some help here I believe I do he says this if your right eye causes you to sin just tear it out and throw it away for it's better that you lose one of the members one of your members than that your whole body be thrown in the hell. And the same thing he says with your hand. Throw it away. Now, lest you guys go do anything unwise, Jesus is not being literal here. <laughs> um, I, I was reading, there was an account of a man named Origen, who, um, who was a, a third century uh, theologian, that he took this literal, and um, he, uh, he became a eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, just Google it later. <laughs> um, and he's not being literal here. He, he's talking about how serious we should go after this how serious we should protect the covenant of marriage like how serious we should protect our hearts um so whatever that seriousness looks like now immediately what we think of is how's i'm gonna i'm gonna guard it is i won't look people in their eyes i won't talk to people I'll say, no 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 you need people and you don't just need accountability. That's been my big kick lately, lately. It's like in Christianity, we'll say, we need accountability. But usually accountability is like the police of, police officers, man. It's like you get pulled over for doing something wrong, and it's usually your buddy comes over, and he says, oh, how fast are you going? Really fast. This is all bad. I need to stop. I'm going to drive slower next time. And then you have this will, or you're inspired to obey more, but nothing happens here. And maybe you might even stop. But you don't stop because your heart is so full in the Lord, and your heart's so full of spirit, and you desire him because he's beautiful and he's great. You just don't want your friend to have to ask you that question anymore. So you take one idol of comfort that you've been trying to re- receive somewhere else and you, and you replace it to human approval and so now your friend thinks you're doing really good and, he's, and he loves you for it. When really the only thing that really brings about transformation is that which is freely given us in the Lord. What we need from each other is not just accountability, we need accessibility. People who we are accessible to and vice versa. People who can ask you not just the hard questions, but good questions. Like how tired are you? When's the last time you worked out? How's your, how's your diet? Things that actually play into the totality of who we are as humans. Not just, hey, man, did you watch that again? Did you, did you watch that movie again? Did you click that again? Instead of go no, what, where are you at? Like, we need to be known and fully known. Like, that's part of rich community. So this week, good friend of mine, really, really, good friend of mine, lives here, a pastor friend. He must have texted me, like, I had a bad week, and I think the Lord told him. Like, I was just, just, for whatever reason, I just had a, I just had a bad week. Not in action, just in weight and, and life and just stuff, right? And you, you probably did too. And he kept texting me, hey, man, how are you? I'm doing good. He goes, no, man, how are you? I'm doing good. Next day, hey, how's your heart? Beating. No. <laughs> I said, man, honestly, man, I, I have all these emotions, and I start talking. Next day, hey, man, how's your heart? How's your heart? And finally, when it came to Thursday, I picked up on a phone call, and I said, hey, I love you, man, because you care so much. You care so much, and I just need that. I didn't need him to say, ask me, diagnostic, what'd you do here, what'd you do that. I, need, I needed that, and that helped me know I know what I need. Ultimately, that pointed to me, I, I have to go to the Lord with all this. i got to go to the Lord with all these emotions and these things in my heart. When it comes to the thing of lust, it's not just stop doing it. It's going, ultimately, who has access to your heart? Why am I going to these things to begin with? What's broken that needs the healing of the spirit? And you gotta find those few, two or three people in your life that are, that are, that are, that are there with you that you can invite, into, invite in that place with you that have deep, deep access. Because you know what, you're gonna struggle again and you're gonna fail again, you're gonna fail again, you're gonna fail again, you're gonna fail again, gonna fail again until Jesus takes you home. The problem with sexual sin is it gives so much shame. And you walk around and the reason why we hide it so much is because we're afraid of the shame. When Jesus says, I've actually come to cover you with my righteousness that you may walk in the light and have no shame. And as Jesus' people, we need to keep pointing people to that reality and that truth that they may live free. They're not identified by your sin. You have to be identified by your Savior. Amen? So that, that's, that's the heart of this. It's unloving. It's unloving to take from somebody. It's unloving to take somebody even With your eyes and with your heart and with your imagination, that which is not yours. And it's not good for God, it's not good for them, and it's not good for you. Jesus continues with the relationships, and he goes to talking about marriage, verse 31. It also was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, there's books and books and books and books and books written on this interpretation of what's, what's permissible for divorce and so forth. That's not the point here. We can have that conversation later and email me all your questions at JasonRaber. <laughs> RedemptionAZ.com. I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, what, 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 if, what is Jesus talking about here? Okay, context matters. So there were two interpretations of what he talked about here, Deuteronomy chapter 24, um, about a certificate of divorce. Now, Jesus says this later in Matthew chapter 19. The reason why he gave a certificate of divorce is not because God was like, Let's, that's what you need to do. Because of the hardness of our hearts. Because of sin. And he's actually talking primarily to men. Because what was happening here is that there was an interpretation um, of, of rabbis, and there was two popular teachings in this particular day. And one teaching was highly, 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 highly conservative, that um, essentially gave no concession for, for divorce at all. And the other teaching was very, very lax, and essentially you can divorce on like any ground. And the teaching of the Pharisees sided with the latter. And so what would happen is, is that you would be able to, as a man, divorce your wife for basically anything. Anywhere from sex immorality to, 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 um, to you didn't like the way she cooked or liked the way she looked. Right? Like that, that, that was it. And you would sign a certificate. The certificate was placed in Deuteronomy as a protection for the woman. Because, remind you, in that particular day, women didn't have very much power. Right? I'm not trying to say that women and men's power are equal today. That's another conversation. Again, you got my email address. So we... In that day, women didn't have much power, and so it was a way of God to protect them to say, if you gave her a certificate, that means another man was free to marry this woman and take her in and protect her and provide for her. So not just not having power, but the ability to take care of herself in that particular society. So when Jesus is saying there was a certificate, it's not like, oh, just find a way. The Pharisees were teaching in such a way, find a way out so that you're not really divorcing because you found a way, therefore it's biblical. No, it's not. The ideal here is that you love your wife. Your wife, you love your husband. You love them. Hear me. I've only been married for nine years. And you know what? Marriage is beautiful. And it's amazing. And it's good. And it's all the things you would think it would be. But like anything that's beautiful, amazing, and good, it's difficult. It is. It's difficult because of you, it's difficult because of me. It's difficult because of money or too much, or not enough. It's difficult because of intimacy. Are we connecting? Are we not? It's difficult because of time. Do we have a much, too much or not enough? Are we doing enough? It's difficult because of the ridiculous expectations that are put upon us by this, this, this fake people called the Jones. You know the Jones don't exist. I know we do have people here who literally have the name named Jones. <laughs> I may or may not have them in my small group, they may or not be my best friends, but the, the metaphorical jones they don 't exist, and yet we 're trying to keep up with it. I was talking to a guy the other day, and i said let 's just imagine your wife your wife 's supposed to be thirty something years old she 's supposed to take care of your children she 's supposed to work out she 's supposed to have a job she 's supposed to look amazing she 's supposed to have food on the table she 's supposed to have her hair did um, and just always looking fierce right right just, like, all of that. Have a quiet time. Read the Bible in a year. Like, like what? Like, it's, it's, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Right? It's hard. So those of you who are not married and you're thinking about getting married, <laughs> all I would say is honestly, dig deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ. What makes marriage beautiful and good is when you see the essence of love in Jesus. What he is talking about here is doesn't mean that you won't get along. That, no, it doesn't mean that you guys won't have fights. Don't mean that you won't have arguments. Don't mean that you guys won't go at it with each other. It doesn't mean any of that. Because oftentimes there's moments in marriage where you, you won't admit that you're wrong, and she won't admit you're, that she's wrong, and you just go at it, or you admit that you're wrong, but then she won and you still can't. I mean, it just goes back and forth. <laughs> but you know what? You said I do. We live in a particular culture that we actually chose this, and, 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 and then I'm convinced that um, the deeper we are in understanding what commitment is and what love is, the better. I, I, guys, I'm serious. When I, they're not happy, I'm not happy. I want to say bull, and then I say a word I shouldn't say afterwards. This whole happy thing, it's not, th- I mean, go back to Matthew, remember? Like, happy is being poor in spirit. Happy is mourning. Like, that's what Jesus defines happy. Happy is not, not the way that we, we decide. Um, and so w- the essence of what Jesus is saying is um, mainly to men, love the heck out of your wife. She ain't perfect, and neither are you, but you have a perfect Savior. Um, we should have somebody on stage that has been married for a long time and have them just go at it. <laughs> If you ever listen to just, just people, know we, we're going to do that right now. You guys heard me. Now we got to go through it. It's recorded. We're gonna, we need to have somebody on stage 40 years or more and just have them go, just talk. We, we were at this deal where this couple had been married, I think it was, was 1,000 years they had been married. <laughs> and they were, they were doing this Q&A. And what you realize is it's actually hard to get answers out of them because they make it seem like it's so simple. Like, it's like watching, like, Usain Bolt run. and Like, I can never run that fast. He's smiling, taking pictures, and setting records. You know what I mean? So this couple, they were asked questions like, hey, how was it like being in two different wars and raising nine kids? They are like, oh, not that. No different than your life. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What? War? War was like one, two, three, four. I'm like, I've never been to war. Like, you know, like, that's not my life. Yet, I think that we can, we, we're, you're able to learn from them. Now, this, two couple that, this couple that I'm talking about, they've gone to be with the Lord, but they were just so helpful to listen to. Jesus is saying love. When you love somebody, you, you, you won't gossip or slander. When you love somebody, you won't take from them physically or sexually. When you love somebody, you'll commit to them, and you'll be with them. Now, I understand the concessions for divorce, and I, and I get there's many people in here who've experienced divorce, um, who've walked through it, um, and so forth. And, and it's not something you ever get over, right? My parents... Legally got divorced when I was 20, and I was a sophomore in college, and I sure. saw it coming since before I can remember, and yet it still bothers me. It still, it still affects me to this day to think that, like, there's one couple in my entire family that's married, right? And I don't think I projected upon me and my wife, but it's just a real deal. And so I, I get the concessions, and I understand that it's painful, yet love, love, like love deeply, Amen. So I spent more time on that than, than, I, than I should have. So we're going we're gonna to race through here. Oaths, 33. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but sh- shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Yet let, let what you say be simply, be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So here's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying never make an oath or whatnot. He's just saying love shows integrity. Integrity. So you know how people swear on things? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I promise you by this, or I swear by that. Is that he's saying that the fact that you're not being honest, that people are used to you being dishonest, you have to swear. That people go, I don't believe you. And then you have to put it on something else and go, on oh, Jerusalem. Okay, now I believe you, Right? Like, that happens, right? And so when I, like, the way of my vernacular was with my boys and my boys, like, my sons, and my boys, and my friends, is that we would say, like, I would say, hey, man, I got 20 bucks for you. And they'd be like, no, no, you don't. You're lying. I'd be like, no, man, I put that on my mama. And it was like, oh, he has 20 bucks. Because you would never put anything on your mom unless it was true, right? It was like, you would never do that. And the way you get somebody, if they said something like, hey, man, I got 20 bucks for you, put that on something. Oh. Man, I don't got it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my words, I'm a liar. But if I put it on something, now it affirms it. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's just make this really clear. This is really simple teaching. You know why? Because Jesus says, simply. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So it's simple as going, yes, I have $20. No, I don't have $20. (laughs) I feel like my grandpa right now, but he'd always say this thing. Say what you mean, and mean what you say. Boy. And that's it, right? (laughs) So, so. That's what Jesus is saying. Moving along. Verse 38. Really simple. Just let your yes be yes, you know be no. Retaliation. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, right? And this was like a common phrase, not just in biblical um, literature, but in most religions. Like it was like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There should be punishment. He goes, you've heard that there should be just Punishment. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. This is all about retaliation. This is all about snapping back. This is always like, he said this, I'm about to say it back. Right? Right? It, what, what he's saying here is when it comes to slapping or turning the other cheek, this is, this is difficult. This is difficult. Some of you, your temperament, you're okay with that. Slap me, whatever, right? I know, I know that I know since I was a little boy that if you buck me, I got to buck three times harder, right? And so even if you pull me, like, even like, you know, when you, I know that I shouldn't be uh, looking at my phone when I'm driving, and so if I'm at the light, and the light turns green, and I don't see it because I'm probably reading an email praying for you guys or something, and, <laughs> and, and then the person behind me honks. I'm at fault. I still want to just stay there, <laughs> right? And it's like, what am I doing, right? This retaliation thing, like it's, it's in us. We want, you say something to me, I want to say something to Jesus is like, no, no, Ricardo, you're not being a Christian, right? Like, this is not what the ethic looks like. And 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 it's hard because it's just harder for some of us than others, right? And he says, turn the other cheek. So the picture here is another grown man (laughs) comes to another grown man and slaps him. And slaps him with the backhand, which is always worse. (laughs) Hits him, smacks him, and then the person's supposed to say, this one too. Now, that's what Jesus is talking about. And I know for me, I, that's a struggle. And not, I mean, no one's like slapped me like that before, but just in little things. So I'm, um, I'm coaching this football team and we got these, we got, we got some good kids in our team and we're playing this other team. And this team's tough that we're playing. They're tough. like, you know, inner city kids. And like, I grew up like that. Like I used to be that team and I heard their coaches pregame. He's, he's making fun of our team. Their, Their parents showed up in Suburbans and they got SUVs. They don't come from, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be over the year, right? And, and we're trying to get our kids active, right? And so we're playing this team and they haven't lost a game and so forth. And um, we're about to win. They get mad at one of our kids. By the way, just tackle football. These are seven-year-olds. One of their kids squares off, bam, swings at one of our kids. Our kid drops back and puts them up. And I was like, yes, no. <laughs> like, like, like immediately, Like I'm on the sideline, like, yeah, he's back. And I was like, wait, wait, what am I teaching on tomorrow? Um, And that's that that, that tension. Like if that was my boy, if that was my son, if somebody hits you, what do I teach him? Because I know what my dad taught me. Hit him back. (laughs) My dad wasn't Jesus, (laughs) y'all. This is harder than what it seems. Because you have people who read this text right now, and they find themselves being people who understand just war, and you find themselves being pacifists. Both lovers of Jesus who read this. You have people who read this as parents who would tell their kid, if somebody does that to you, you got to protect yourself and hit back. And you have some of us who will say, some of you who will say, um, if, you, if somebody hits you, you know, turn them the other cheek. Is he literal here? The point of it is, at the heart of it is, we need wisdom to be able to say, Lord, how do we be faithful to your kingdom ethic here? How do we not seek revenge? We love revenge. And sometimes we may not do it ourselves. But we know it's in our hearts because when we, when we see somebody who's wronged us, something bad happens, then what do we say, <laughs> got what they deserved, when really we're like, I didn't have to do it, right? We want revenge. And and Jesus is saying that is not at all what it looks like. In fact, if somebody's taking you this far, go two miles. If they're asking for your coat, give them two coats. And if somebody would ever come to you and beg for money that you know they might do something wrong with or never pay it back, give it to them anyway. Let that sit. Let that sit. Let the spirit of the Lord, let that ruminate in your life in such a way that brings about transformation. And say, Lord, do I actually live this? Or is this just like nice red letters tucked away in my Bible that I think are good? Jesus Jesus concludes this section with this. In the same line. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what he's saying. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus is not quoting from the Bible there. The Bible never once says, hate your enemy. But the interpretation was, because of Israel's background, no, we're going to love those who love us, and we're going to hate those who hate us. Right? Like, that, that's just human nature. And you got to understand Israel's history. Israel's history is like, they were the kid in the block that, n- that never wanna fight. Right? Like, the Syrians came in, the Babylonians came in, the Romans came in, the Persians came in. Like, everybody's been beating them up. And so now they're saying, if you're with us, we love you. If you're against us, we hate you. And Jesus goes... You don't need the spirit of God for that. The tax collectors, who were like the worst people of that day, let tax collectors do that. Everybody does that. He said, that's easy. No, no, no. Love your enemy. Think about who your enemy may be. Think about who that person or who those people may be. Our enemy is not the culture, guys. Our enemy oftentimes are people who we just don't want to be around. People who just annoy the mess out of us. Sometimes you have to be around them because they're, they're like your neighbors. They're literally your neighbors. Um, I, I have a person in my life that I, I wouldn't call him an enemy, but I wouldn't call him a friend of me either. Right? And this particular person, him and I, we we got into it. We got into it. And and I wanted to be like, I'm done. I told my wife, I'm done, I'm done with this guy. He doesn't go to the church. You guys don't know who he is, don't worry about it. Um, But I spent a lot of time with him. And I said, man, I'm done with him. I said, he keeps doing these things. I don't like the way he's treating these kids. I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't put my name on this. And, you know, my wife sometimes says things to me that I know is right, but I wish she didn't say it when she said it. Like, I want her to be like, yeah, you're right. She was like, I don't know. It just seems something about love. God says something about loving, you know, your enemies. I'm like, (laughs) I know that. And it's been a challenge. And so I've been trying to go out of my way by God's grace. Every time I see this, man, hey, man, how you doing? How's your wife doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, man, you ever want to hang? No, you don't want to hang out again? Okay, hey, man, you want to, you know. And I'm not usually that guy, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to overwhelm him because I know how much he bothers me, and I know how much I don't like the things that he does. <laughs> and yet, going back to the very beginning, this man is creating the image of God. And so am I, and so are you. Jesus ultimately died for his enemies. I'm just trying to get a cup of coffee. Like Jesus ultimately goes to the cross as, as ultimately the men were spitting in his face. And then not only does he just do that, but what is he does exactly what he says. Pray for those who persecute you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the life that he's calling us to, guys, it's not easy. The relationships he's calling us to, it's not easy. The vocations that he's calling us to, it's not easy. The kingdom that we've been welcomed in by his grace, it's not easy. And the only way that we can live into it is if the love of God is made manifest amongst us. And it, it, it seemingly Jesus closes with the very tall order. Verse 48. Therefore, you must be perfect as your father is perfect. You're like, all right, Jesus, first of all, you said if I look at a woman with lust, that's adultery. So I've, I've committed adultery. I've murdered a few people today. I mean, like, this is Jesus. And then now you're saying I got to be perfect like your father. Who can be perfect like the father, right? That's why language matters. And I'm not like the type of person that I always thrown up all the Greek and you guys and everything because I know, like, who speaks Greek? But it's important to understand that the word perfect here is not the word holy. Some of your translations may say holy. That's not a good translation. Um, the word here is perfect, and the word perfect literally means telios, which telios is, it, it, it speaks of perfect and a goal, meaning there's a process, that the goal is that you begin to look more and more like the love of your father. And the way you look more and more into and live into the love of your father is if you first experience. So he says be perfect, meaning be working towards that goal. But even then you go, okay, but how do I work towards that goal? Well, another thing that that helps us understanding this and how we're supposed to live into this, and it will set up our message for next week, is understanding that um, this is a future indicative. And a future indicative means this. Indicative is always something that God does for us. Like Christ died for us, therefore we obey. Imperatives are what we do. Indicatives is what God has accomplished. So a future indicative is God saying those who are in the kingdom, those who are poor in spirit, those who have entered through grace, those who walk with Jesus, that you will be perfected by the love of the Father. That what he's calling you to do and who he's calling you to be, he himself says that he's going to do it on our behalf. It's very good news. That he's freed us up to live the life that he actually displays here. That we work out what God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are working into our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? The, The heart of all of this, and we'll get into it next week too, is it's loving God, and it's loving your neighbor. Jesus later in Matthew says, everything in the law hangs on this, that you love God and you love your neighbor. You don't lust after your neighbor. You don't, you, don't, you don't leave the person you've been married to. You don't have anger in such a way that you belittle and you berate people. Just because somebody's your enemy, get on your knees and pray for them. In essence, what he's saying is, follow me. The same thing he said to the disciples earlier. We have to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus or do we have the world and Jesus in our hand? Right? One, thing, one, one hand with the gospel and the other hand with whatever we want to do. And Jesus is saying, not part of you, but all of you into the kingdom, into the love of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your love is and will and continue to be perfected in our lives. The God that you get to the heart of, of the law, not just, Lord, the letter, that you are giving us exactly what we need, and that is transformation. I pray that you would give us an appetite and a desire to, to seek you, to live for you, to obey in a way, Lord, that, that satisfies. God, I pray that we would see always that throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that the invitation is there, that you are the one who are welcoming and you're the one who are calling, you're the one who are sustaining us in your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray a blessing over our people. God, I pray a blessing over your church and this church here. I pray your spirit of comfort, your spirit of motivation, your spirit, Lord, um, in our lives, God. As many of us as we gather, Lord, with many different things that are going on in our mind and our heart and our heads and our lives, God, that you would wrap it all together under your lordship. Help us to be truly rich in community, Lord, poor in spirit, in all that we do, Lord, loving you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.